Good evening, everyone. Thanks for coming. Uh, we'll continue this evening with our discussion of the 96th Anucheda of Srila Jiva Goswami's Bhagavat Sandarbha. Um, in this Anucheda, Sri Jiva Goswami is giving us a an elaborate purport on the Chatur Sloki of the Srimad Bhagavatam and using it in the context of his Bhagavat Sandarbha to bring out the essence of the message of the entire Sandarbha, which is that if you're going to think about the Supreme, the Absolute, the best, the best methodology to arrive at a proper conception of what is the Supreme Absolute is uh, the utilization of Srimad Bhagavatam as your evidence, as what you rely upon in arriving at uh, conclusive knowledge regarding the Supreme. Now, throughout this Sandarbha, he has repeatedly emphasized the fact that if we're going to look at an understanding of the Supreme, Let's rely upon one verse from the Bhagavatam. Vedanti tat tat vavidas tatvam yaj janamadvayam brahmeti paramatmeti bhagavan iti samjate. Which says in essence that those that seek transcendental knowledge, spiritual knowledge, vedanti tat, they rely upon the Veda, and what they have milked from the cow of the Veda is different conceptions regarding the Supreme Absolute. The first thing that they've arrived at is it's not anything of this world. So it's jnana advayam. It's, it's knowledge beyond what can be gathered with our mind and senses. And it stands in opposition to what we know all around us as matter, maya. Now, it's not difficult for ourselves to know what maya is, but most people don't know anything about maya except it's a nice name for your daughter that's come into the vernacular within the last 10 or 20 years. All of a sudden this name Maya springs up and there's a few young girls with the name Maya. They never call the boys Maya. <laughs> but sometimes they call the girls Maya. But when we 
when we look to this non-dual substance as different from Maya, what we're speaking about is it's a realm of existence which is free of the material realm. And in the material realm, everything is Maya. Maya meaning full of duality, full of hots and colds, happies and sads, pluses and minuses, uh, owning and being bereft of. And we could go on perpetually and look at unlimited dualities of material existence, birth, death, healthiness, disease. I mean, so we're, that's what we're used to. So when these great sages look to the scriptures, they come up, well, spirit has to be different than that. Otherwise, why even endeavor to have any, to know anything spiritual if it falls into the same world of dualism, which simply is, it's a, it's a source of problems for us. Being hot is a problem. Being cold is a problem. Finding a good temperature in between, well, that's okay, but it doesn't last. That's a problem. So <laughs> the problem's just, they don't seem to end. So spirit must be free of those dualities. So knowledge of that spirit, they've, they've ascertained from the Veda, from a source which is beyond the limited knowledge that one can gain with, material, with the material senses. We're not going to be able to, to enter in to a comprehensive understanding of what is spiritual unless we go beyond perceptions of the world around us. Perceptions of the world around us are not going to lead us to any spiritual conclusions. Now, we can reach a lot of nice conclusions by looking at the world around us. There's beauty. There's kindness. There's joy. There's murder. There's suffering. I mean, we can reach all kinds of conclusions, but can we real, really reach any definitive understanding of what is spiritual by just looking at the world around us. We might infer that there might be something spiritual because somebody's providing for me. I'm not providing for myself. If I really think about it, I realize I get up in the morning and I jump in my car and I drive off to work and I work my 40-hour week and at the end I get my check and I buy my buy go to the grocery store and I bring home groceries and my wife cooks me a meal so I have all these these things but 
I didn't make the sun. And if the sun didn't come up, I wouldn't make it through the day. I did. I don't make the air. And when it really comes down to it, I don't make the groceries. And neither does the farmer make the groceries. He tills, tills the field, he plants the seeds, but more than that, he harvests at the end, but all the hard work, he didn't do all that. He didn't sprout the seed that made the plant. He, he might have kept the bugs off of it, hopefully in a very conscientious manner, but uh, really, so contemplative thinkers can, can arrive at a, at, a, at a reasonable expectation that there has to be something beyond the pluses and minuses of the world at work here. But they can't arrive at a definitive answer. So they'll argue back and forth between themselves. Oh, well, my conclusion is there is no God. There was a bang, and if you really look, it just it happened by chance, and all this is just happening because of an evolution that the matter evolved. And, you know, anyway, we could go on and on here with with such you know rudimentary discourse regarding the nature of being, but it's not gonna. It's gonna not. It's it can only take us so far. Now these great thinkers, they they've come to the to this platform of relying on on knowledge which is beyond the senses, Vedic knowledge, descending knowledge. But they've not reached the same conclusion regarding that non-dual meaning non-material, spiritual absolute. They've seen it differently according to their sadhana, according to the way they've approached spiritual life, what they've learned from their spiritual teachers, and how they've practiced. They've arrived at different conclusions about that non-dual absolute. They know it's not material. So they all agree on that. But their visions are different. And in this verse from the Bhagavatam, three general distinct categories of transcendentalists are, are given according to their angle of vision. Some see the spirit, spiritual thing as, as Brahman, some as Paramatma, and some as Bhagavan. Brahmati, Paramatmati, Bhagavan, Iti Sabjate. They've come to these conclusions. So now, Jiva Goswami in his Bhagavat Sandarva is trying to lead us as his students to an understanding that if you look to these three conceptions 
which these great transcendentalists have arrived at by milking the Vedas according to their own lineages. If you look deeply at the Veda and what it has to offer, you cannot arrive at any understanding of the supreme absolute reality which is devoid of personality. And not only that, but that personality has to exist as put forth in the scriptures. He has to exist beyond the realm of everything that is material. He has to have his own existence. So, when we look to these three conceptions that are presented in the Veda, broadly, Brahman, Paramatma, and Bhagavan, if we look to those conceptions, we will arrive at the Bhagavan conclusion if we look deeply enough. His Sandarbhas are there to help us look deeply enough to arrive at that conclusion. And that conclusion is quite simply Krishna's to Bhagavan Swayam. That of all the different conceptions and all the different ideas that one can take from authorized scriptures, ultimately, if they look deeply enough and they have good guidance, they'll come to the conclusion that Bhagavan Sri Krishna is the topmost conception of the supreme absolute reality. There's no other conclusion that you can arrive at. So throughout this Bhagavat Sandarbha, he's provided much, much argument in support of this conclusion. Now we're at a stage in the Bhagavat Sandarbha where he's using as his argument the core verses of the Srimad Bhagavatam. He's relying on that as his evidence in support of his proposition that the topmost conception that one could have in regards to the supreme absolute truth, jnana advayam, that non-dual knowable thing, is personal. He's a person. And he's a person in and of his himself. So that's kind of what we're going to go into just a little bit this evening. 
So this 96th Anucheta in it, as his evidence, making his point, he points to seven verses of the Srimad Bhagavatam, seven verses which were spoken by Lord Krishna himself to Brahma, the creator of the universe. So the first verse, in the first verse, he puts forth to Brahma what he's going to present. Jnanam paramaguyam may yad vijnana samanvitam sa rahasyam tad angamcha grihana gaditam maya receive from me he's saying this is god krishna speaking to brahma just like the guru would speak to us he is taking the position of guru with brahma in this instance he's saying receive from me this most confidential knowledge guyam most confidential doesn't get any better than this this is this is like really the hidden stuff that I I hide away for those people that are really serious. And I can see you're really serious. You just went through um, a thousand celestial years of, of serious contemplation in order to do the service for me of manifesting a material universe. So... People don't just sit down for a thousand celestial years in deep meditation, contemplation, and and really want to do the job that they have that they're tasked with seriously. That's somebody that's really well. They're they're transcendental. So receive from me this most confidential knowledge regarding me, Jnana. Because all knowledge rests in the Supreme, which includes its realization, Vigyan. So, Krishna is saying, not only do you want to hear about what I am and what I'm not and everything related to me, you want to know all that, but you want to realize it. You want to experience it. You want a revelation of the fact that I pervade everything. You want a revelation as to, I have a form. You want revelation as to the fact that I have activities of my own independent of the manifestation of the material universes. You want all this. You want to actually experience it. So, I can tell you about it, but... I, not only do I want to tell you about it, I want to tell you about it in such a way that you take such an interest in it that you enter into a comprehensive revelation of it. It's mystery, Rahasya. Not only that, but I want you to relish it. And what is it? What's it? it? It's all me. So if you know about me, you can't do anything 
but relish everything in relationship to me because I'm like really, really the sweetest of the sweet. And I have the best, I do the best things. I'm the most attractive. I'm the strongest, the richest, the most renounced. I could go on and on and on. And you can't help but fall in love with me if you if you learn all this about me and experience all this about me. Not only do you learn with Jan, but you have revelation of with Vigyan. And once you have revelation of me, you fall in love with me madly. And that will give you unlimited pleasure, Rahasya. And its counterpart, Anga, as I enunciate it to you. And even if that revelation, that ex direct revelation of me, experience of me, doesn't come easily, it may not come automatically just by the first time you hearing about me, well, you can hear about me again and again, and you can serve me in different ways, and you can engage in practices which will assist you in having that revelation of me and entering into Brahasham, Rahasya, having a taste of prem, of love for me. So it's quite a nice introduction from the guru to the disciple with four simple components. Know about God, experience God, fall in love with God, and if that doesn't just manifest naturally, then I, as the spiritual master, will give you some simple program to effectuate the revelation and the love. So those two components may need, there may be need to be some, uh, some activity on your part, some practice on your part, some discipline on your part to help you facilitate that. But ultimately, the revelation and the tasting of the sweetness of a loving relationship with me, that's ultimately what you want to achieve. So that's the opening verse. Then Brahma goes on. We went over this in the last discussion. Yavanaham yathabhavo yadrupa guna karmaka tathaiva tattva vigyanam astute madanugrahat By my grace, my true realization, may true realization dawn in you. Well, this is how What's that grace? That's the grace of the guru. So, by my grace, 
this is what the guru does, may that realization dawn in you. I mean, really, who's doing the work here is the point. But Krishna's saying, he's giving a blessing to his student. By my grace, may this realization dawn in you of me and my utter completion. Let's not leave anything out. Experience me fully. I want you to have the just not just a partial picture of what I am as the supreme and how sweet I am as the supreme lover. Let's have it in in completion. As I am in my existence, my complete form, attributes, and actions. And what Jiva Goswami did in his Anucheta, in his explanation of this second blessing by Lord Krishna to Brahma, is he brought out the fact that impersonal Brahman cannot give you such a blessing. It has to be a, the personal concept of the Lord has to be the one to give this kind of a blessing. So those Advaitins, those transcendentalists to, that look to these core verses of the Bhagavatam need to look at the blessing verse before Krishna begins to give the revelationary verses of his nature, they need to look at it and say, well, how could this be seen in any other way except the fact that the, the most comprehensive and complete understanding of the Supreme Absolute has to be the Bhagavan conception. Because Brahman, what can Brahman bless? He has no ears, he has no eyes, he has no, he doesn't go anywhere. The second we attribute anything to Brahman, then we're attributing, you know, a material, a material upadi. So, Jiva brings out that in that section of the Anucheda. Now we go on to the third verse, which is where we start tonight. In this way, the, the Lord delineates the four topics under investigation. Four topics. Gyan, Vigyan, Rahasya, and Tad, tad Anugram. The four topics under discussion. In the four verses of Chatur Sloki, he begins by defining himself in the first two verses. So Krishna is going to say, this is what I am. If you want to know about God, and that's me, standing here before you, in my most sweet form, that is the form that stood before Krishna. 
um, then you should know this is the proper definition. If you want to, if you want to apply a definition to me as God, this is what it is. He begins by defining himself in the first two verses to elucidate jnana and vijnana. So there's four chatur sloki verses. That's what chatur sloki four slokas. Um, in the matter of Gyan, he says, Aham eva sam eva gre, Nanyad yat sat asat param, Paschad aham yad etachcha, Yo vasishyeta soms mayaham. In the beginning, I alone did exist. Certainly. There's nothing else. Somebody had to be there in the beginning. Know that that was me. And no other. I didn't need any help. I had lots of friends and I have lots of friends and they are with me and they're with me all the time. But I didn't need their help in this regard. Krishna did hold up Govardhan Hill by himself, although others thought that they were assisting with their sticks. But he was he was quite capable himself of holding up Govardhan Hill and creating everything. In the beginning, well, I thought spiritual was, you know, Satchitananda. Sat means eternal. So what's the question of beginning? What's what's being referred to here has to be the beginning of a material manifestation, a material cycle of manifestation. Because our understanding from the Veda, and the Veda makes it pretty clear, it's a, it's a cyclic manifestation. The material universe comes into existence. It stays for some time. It dwindles and it dissolves and goes back into the Supreme. Kind of like us. Yes. We come into existence. We, we're here for some time. We have some byproducts or not. We dwindle. And unfortunately, none of us get out of here alive. So, in the beginning, I alone certainly did exist and no other, whether sat, asat, or beyond both. Don't be worried about that little sat, no sat. Eternal, not eternal, and beyond both. Krishna's being a little, wow, that's deep. Whether sat, asat, or beyond both. Afterwards, I am for both this cosmos and what, rem and what remains. Afterwards, I am for both this cosmos and what remains are also I. 
Srila Jiva Goswami's commentary on this verse, which is his Anucheda, this particular Anucheda, reads as follows. In this verse, the word aham, I, indicates that the speaker, speaker must have a form. It's kind of hard to talk if you don't have <laughs> form. And cannot be the attributeless Brahman. Jiva doesn't, it's not hidden, it's very simple. Brahman doesn't speak. So the speaker's a person. So it's quite clear here, by the use of the word aham, which is I, it's a person. Since the latter cannot be denoted by a personal pronoun, which is what aham is in Sanskrit. If the intent of the verse was to convey Atmagyan, knowledge of the identity of the self with Brahman, as in the statement, Thou are that, Chatur, um, Chantogya Upanishad, it would have been more appropriate to say, You alone were, because we are that, right? That's one of the Vedic aspirisms. Tatwamasi. You are that. So why would the verse read uh, Aham Eva Sam Eva Grey? It doesn't make sense. So the verse doesn't read that way. Uh, and therefore it doesn't say thou are that. It says I am and I existed before. Not you. You alone were. Jiva Goswami goes on. Therefore, the meaning should be understood as follows. Very simple definition. Jiva says, I am this supremely captivating, I, I'm sorry, am this supremely captivating form which has appeared before you at this present moment. And I exist as such even prior to creation. I didn't create myself here in the creation to be able to talk to you. I existed before the creation. It wouldn't make sense that I created myself. <laughs> what, what created me? And I existed as such even prior to creation. Even during the interim period of the cosmic cataclysm. Now we know what that's referred to, right? There's a time when the cosmos is not manifest. When the whole, the whole show wraps up and enters back into the Lord. This is explained to us in the Bhagavatam. Mm. This is confirmed in the Shruti such as in the beginning there was only Vasudeva and no Brahma or Sankar. In the beginning there was only Narayan, not Brahma or Shiva. So he's giving different evidences from other scriptures here. Owing, owing to being his parts, 
the Vaikuntha planets, his associates and other aspects of his internal potency are all included in the word I. Just as when one says the king is passing by. This is all right in Jiva's Anucheta. The presence of the king's retinue is also implied. Therefore, all these associated elements should be understood as belonging to the exact same category as Bhagavan. Because Bhagavan said only I existed. But we have to understand it in the proper context. When Krishna says I, he means I, my Vaikuntha atmosphere that doesn't go through manifestation and dissolution and everybody that's there with me that's all I and everything we do is I that's the sat part it's existing eternally so when Krishna says only I existed it's just like when you 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 look to a king the king exists but he doesn't exist alone. The king's there. He has his castle. He has his family. He has all his servants. He has his army. He has his elephants. He has his courtyards. He has his courtesans. He, he has so many things. It's all part of him. So now this, we can take this analogy a little further just to understand it. Now sometimes the king goes to the court and executes the king's business. People will come before him and they'll lay out their case. Please, I can't pay my taxes because there were no crops this year. Can you give me a break? And the king will either say yes or no. or or And if the king is very cruel, then... They'll say, well, you have to pay your taxes even if you had no crops. They'll say, I can't do that. He says, okay, then I'll put you in jail or I'll flog you. You know. So it's the business of the king in the courtyard. The king will come and, and he has to adjudicate all these things and he has to wage wars and he has to you know, show that he's the topmost king of the whole. So these are all kingly affairs. Now, when we say that the king, the king's not in court today, it doesn't mean that the king ceased to exist. He still has an existence. So the fact that the material universe winds up, it comes to a stage of what we would call dissolution, but it's never fully dissolved, it just changes form just like we do in the beginning we're the size of a pea and then we're dust in the wind so <laughs> so the point being made is when we think of the supreme lord we should understand that he has his own existence and he may or may not be involved in a material manifestation all the time 
but it doesn't change the fact that he has his own his own life. The king may not go to court, but he still eats. He's still at home. He's still playing with the kids. He's having the day off. He does his recreation. Those things may not be there at that time. It's interesting, prior to this section of the Bhagavatam, uh, Parikshit Maharaj posed a, a question uh, to Sukadev Goswami as follows. Where does the Supreme Person, the cause of the creation, maintenance and annihilation of the cosmos, the indwelling self of all beings, and the controller of Maya, repose after abandoning his Maya. Uh, so this, these verses are part of that response, the repetition of the Chatur Sloki. So questions and answers. Maharaj posed the question, and this particular verse is part of the answer. Can you where does the Supreme Person, the cause of creation, maintenance, and annihilation of the cosmos, the indwelling self within all beings, and the controller of Maya, repose after abandoning his Maya? In other words, where is... His Maya. What does that mean, his Maya? The Maya that he controls. The Maya that is our material universe. He abandons that. He wraps up the material universe. And in the question by Vidura, please tell me, O great sage, in how many ways do the elements of material nature dissolve into their source? Who serves the Lord at that time and who follows him into repose? So similarly, what happens after the Lord winds up his material manifestation? So the, the point being made here is Krishna is not alone and when he's not at the office, he's still doing things. <laughs> so with that, I'll stop for this evening. Are there any questions? Thank you so much for your association. <laughs>